a pleasant Sunday morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're gathered again to worship our Almighty God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as a family. And today's message continues in the book of Hebrews. And the title of today's message, taken from Hebrews chapter 11, is Commendable Faith. And by and by, we'll go uh, through why we call this uh, faith commendable. And so the idea is we want to see how we will exemplify authentic faith in Jesus as a witness to this fallen world that we live in. Because as disciples, we must aspire to exemplify a commendable faith in Christ that results in increasing obedience to Christ as a witness of the excellencies of Christ to the world. Uh, let me repeat that. Disciples must aspire to exemplify a commendable faith that results in increasing obedience as a witness of the excellencies of Christ to the world. Now, uh, as a parent, you're always worried, how will you pass down your Christian values and your beliefs to your next generation or your children? And we know that in terms of parenting, it's not just spending qua uh, quality time with them, but also quantity time. And that is because we would like to really spend lots of time to help them not only know our values, but see and copy our values and beliefs. But this is easier and done because we belong to an age where uh, our children are digital natives. They spend lots of time on their gadgets, on the internet, and their influences are very different than during our time when there's none of these things there. So brainwashing of your children happens in the comfort now of your own home. Right? Because they, what they, they spend lots of hours online, on screen, and what they watch and what they play influences how they think and their worldview. And so parenting is not as easy because how do you raise children with the right values when there's so much things they get, uh, uh, more time they spend on the screen than with you? Who do your children look up to today, especially now that we're, we have gone online schooling, so they spend morning, afternoon, and even evenings on the computer. So really, the problem of today is we lack role models for our next generation. Because today's influencers, those who are considered celebrities, the rich, the famous, uh, majority do not really show much of a positive influence to the next generation, whether they're politicians, children of politicians, celebrities, even athletes and musicians and the like, there will always be news about them getting involved in drugs or being arrested for being drunk or their lack of sexual boundaries, their failed marriages, anger explosions, indecent clothing, foul language, arrest for their misconduct, excessive party, and those are the things that their lifestyles promote. So we live in a world right now where the media promotes a very worldly uh, version of what life on earth ought to be. And even normalizing the bizarre and the abnormal as what life should be on earth today. So lately when you look at uh, 
children's uh, stuff, uh, children's shows, you will see that they're even promoting a different sexuality than before. And they're no normalizing the abnormal and changing the values of our children. Now, of course, there are exceptions to the rule. There are great role models out there, but it's not easy to find, right? And so we, help, we need to help the next generation to set up their filters to know right and wrong, to be able to evaluate who they would like to follow and who they ought not to follow. But more important than finding them role models is that are we role models to them? Are we really setting them an example, not just teaching them what authentic faith is, but showing them through our life and how we live? Because if we cannot influence our own home for Jesus, then chances are we have difficulty influencing the others around us. And if we cannot influence the others around us, how much more will we influence the world at large around us? That is, the fallen world around us that need to hear the gospel message. So we ought to be as disciples, role models. Because disciples of Jesus must aspire to exemplify this commendable faith that results in increasing obedience as a witness to the excellencies of Christ to the world. So after convincing the readers that they should not give up on Jesus, so in the first few chapters of the book of Hebrews, okay, it has been again and again being said that they are to see Jesus as the best thing that happened in their life. Now, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to their life. So after convincing them that they should not give up on Jesus because Jesus is better than everything about their old religion, we still have one more hurdle to overcome. And what is that? What kind of faith must they exemplify before those who persecute them and the rest of the world so that all these people may know whose disciples they truly are? And so we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and the author makes a list of positive role models of faith from the ancestors of Israel. Okay, so in this passage per se, we would like to look at two areas. Four features of this commendable faith and six examples. Four features and six examples, right? What is this commendable faith all about? So author Brad Meltzger, Meltzger he saw the need for role models in our time and he worried about his kid. So he started to collect a list of heroes whose virtues and skills he wanted to share his, to his son when he was growing up. And so he wrote the book, Heroes for My Son. And later he wrote another book, Heroes for My Daughter. And this list of names are not perfect people, but they stand for something. They have particular virtues and skills, an area of their life worth emulating. And so he made a list of 52 of such people. And this is what the book of Hebrews is trying to do in chapter 11. It's telling them, okay, this is the kind of authentic, commendable faith you ought to have. And these are some of the examples you ought to follow. Because as disciples, we must aspire to exemplify 
a commendable faith, and that results in increasing obedience as a witness of the excellencies of Christ to the world. Right? So what is this commendable faith all about? Right? So our passage today is frequently known as the hallmark of faith, a list of flawed Old Testament characters. They were not perfect. They had their own failures. But there were areas of their faith that were truly commendable and worth following after or emulating as a, as a child of God. And so my hope is that we see through the faith of these Bible characters the kind of faith expected of a Christ follower in our day and time. Because we are asked to be ready to share our hope in season and out of season. And this kind of faith is not just a mere believing, right? Because it must be a believing that truly matters. It must be a believing that makes a difference. Not only on a personal level, but it will impact the people around us and our future generations. That's why it's called a commendable faith. So a commendation happens when someone's work receives the high approval of the people that they serve. So, for example, you give a tip as a, a commendation to your waiter or to your servers. Sometimes they put their employee of the month to commend someone's hard work. Or maybe in the army, you're given the medal of honor. Okay? Or in graduation, you're given honors in your academic performance. You're appreciated and lifted up as an example for others to follow. So this is the kind of faith we're talking about that the book of Hebrews is telling those people who were almost giving up their faith in Jesus, no, hold on to Jesus and live out what faith in Jesus looks like. And this is the kind of faith we want to look at today. Not just a faith that stays home and keeps safe, but a faith that testifies the goodness, the grace, the love, and the power of the gospel. Because as disciples, we must aspire to uh, exemplify a commendable faith that results in increasing obedience as a witness to the excellencies of Christ to our fallen world. So let me talk about first the four features and later the six examples. The four features talks about the internal quality of this commendable faith that we ought to have, and at least we have an understanding. This is foundation. And the six examples will point us to areas of life where we are to externalize this foundation. Okay? So, inward faith, outward obedience. That's the idea. So in terms of this faith, what kind of faith or how does it stand apart from other kinds of faith? So usually when you're going to purchase a service or a product, you would do a comparative analysis of uh, the product. For example, if you are subscribing for the internet and you have a choice be, be, uh, between data, uh, a, a wired uh, service provider or fiber, of course, if it's a matter of speed, you will go for fiber. If it's a matter of reliability, you will still go for fiber. But if it's a matter of price or value or need, maybe you will subscribe to other services. But if it's a matter of availability, sometimes you have 
no choice. Okay, so you have to compare the pros and cons and what meets your need. Same with if you're going to buy an HDD, a hard disk drive for your PC or laptop or an SSD, which is many times more expensive but faster than the HDD. It depends on your need or usage. So it's the same thing. What kind of faith do we offer to God? What kind of faith will the world see in our lives? Is this the kind of faith that the author of Hebrews is talking about or is it different? Well, the four features include first, a faith that is fully anchored in the promises of God. So in our day and age, because we are used to being deceived by politic, political promises, we are deceived by uh, advertisements and so on and so forth, so we have lost somewhat faith in the promises of people around us. Right? That's why sometimes people tell you to cease to believe. If I don't see, I won't believe. Or uh, as uh, in the movie, Jerry Maguire says, show me the money. Okay? Show me the money, don't just tell me there is money. Uh, we seek for evidence before putting our faith in something, but that's not how commendable faith works. Rather, in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Okay, so when we're reading a passage, I'd like you in your own homes to read along with me the scripture passage that we're reading. So this passage tells us about an inner resolve to believe or sometimes a stubbornness, an assurance of things we hope for, a conviction of things unseen. That kind of inner resolve to believe God no matter what and His promises. Right? It's anchored in the very promises of God, God's divine revelation, because only through Scripture do we have a detailed way of how to get to understand God and what He has promised to us. So this uh, uh, analogy we can use is trees and roots. Right? The tree stands, but when storms come, you will only know how strong the tree is. Uh, when it doesn't fall down, it's because there are roots not anchored into the ground that keeps it standing up. It's the same way in our faith. We are to be anchored in the promises of God or between a boat and an anchor, right? If, you, if the waves are strong, you will pour, uh, put down an anchor so that it will hold fast to where it is. So this kind of faith, first and foremost, the first feature it does is it is anchored in the promises of God. And therefore, we as followers of Jesus must know the promises of God. Okay? We cannot assume that this is what God has promised to you and me. We have to know it for ourselves. We have to be studying the scriptures and checking what did the God say regarding these things. And so it calls for us to really intentionally take time learning the promises of a God in His Word. Second, it is a faith that believes in God's person and work. A faith that believes in God's person and work. Who is God and what He has done. So in verse 6, read along with me, and without faith it is impossible to please Him 
For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay, so this is the bottom line principle from this passage. We cannot please God if we do not believe He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Now, I love this uh, uh, statement from the navigators. No? You cannot serve the one you do not love and you cannot love the one you do not know. So if you do not know God well enough, how will you love Him? If you do not love Him well enough, how will you end up truly serving Him? So it begins with the foundation to know and believe in this God and His work. So the basic response here, believe in who God is, seek Him with all your heart, and draw near. Draw near. So it calls for us to have an intimacy with God, right? To develop this strong bond with Jesus every single day of our lives by spending alone time with Him, undisrupted quality time with our Master every single day. So knowing the Word and developing intimacy with God is important to have this quality of faith, a commendable faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11. Third, it is the faith that can survive present challenges. Now, a faith that survives present challenges. Now, we know in life, the challenges come one after another and it just intensifies throughout life and we are to develop resilience or the ability to overcome adversity in increasing measure throughout our life. Right? And that's what we, we hope to develop and look at verse 13 how it's described here let's read together these all died in faith the, the you know the list of people not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth right they all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeting them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So these proclaimed faith examples in this particular passage have one common experience. They persevered to believe in God beyond their death, beyond the grave. They continued to believe in what God promised despite they didn't experience or receive the promises in their time. They look forward for the future generation to receive God's promises. And they saw their earthly life as a mere passing through. They were strangers and exiles on this earth. They were looking forward for what lies beyond this life, what is in eternity. And so they survived. Their faith survives present challenges. And, last, but, and so it calls for us to hold fast to the purposes of God so that we grow in resilience, overcoming adversity again and again and again. We, uh, we are rooted deeply in the Word of God. We hold closely to who God is and what He has done. And as a result, we continue to grow in resilience to overcome adversity with faith. But Last but not the least, another feature of this faith is it is a faith that looks to the eternal. Not only at the present struggles 
but the eternal reward in Christ. So in verse 14, let's read together again. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they were not looking for a return experience. They were looking for something beyond what they have in the present. Verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. It calls for us to run after things that moth and rust cannot destroy. Okay? It calls for us not to store up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven because we are looking for that heavenly reward, eternity with Christ in His kingdom. Right? It's like uh, when you look at medicine, you do not drink medicine, one, if it is expired because it has lost efficacy or if it is contaminated because it will no longer work in the same manner. Right? And in, in the same way, our faith will lose its efficacy if we fail to have these four features growing more and more every single day. And we see maturity in our faith when we see these features or these four qualities in increasing measure in our lives, right? And the wonderful thing here is that God takes pride in us as His people, commendable faith. God is excited and glad because of the kind of faith in Him that we have. So we are to live in the present with this kind of eternal hope. Right? So we're looking first at the four features of our faith. And let's review those uh, four things. Right? It is a faith. Commendable faith is a faith that's anchored in God's promises, that believes in God's person and work, that can survive present challenges, and that looks to the eternal reward in Christ. This is the kind of faith that we are talking about. It's not a faith that is just merely believing, but a faith that transforms our lives and others' lives because it is a testament of the excellencies of Christ. Commendable faith. God is proud of your faith. That's what we want to see more and more, not only in the time of persecution in the book of Hebrews, but especially in our day and age. Dr. McCormick, in The Heart of Prayer, this book, he tells of this woman whose daughter died after a very painful illness. She came to the pastor and said, I fear I have lost my faith in prayer. I used to believe that anything I ask for in the name of Christ, I will receive. But when my child was sick, I sought God in agony with the desire for her to recover. I believed God would answer my prayer. But when she died, I was stunned. She was in shock. Not merely because of grief, but it seemed to me that God failed me. 
I still pray, but the old faith in prayer is gone. So the author says, this good woman was a victim of wrong teaching. What does that mean? She had, in a word, been led to substitute faith in prayer for faith in God. She believed in prayer more than she believed in God. And so when she, her prayers were not answered, she also stopped believing in God. If our prayer, if our faith in pr- the power of prayer is on a higher scale or level or uppermost, then any disappointment will shake our faith and rattle our resolve. But if our faith is in the promises of God in His Word, who He is according to Revelation, which never changes, then no matter what the outcome of our prayer or petition is, we will choose to trust. We will choose to trust. And this is the kind of faith that is commendable. This is also the kind of faith that God deserves from you and me who calls ourselves disciples of Jesus. However, many Christians today find this kind of faith more a mystery than a reality because we are too busy with our own lives, too uh, caught up with our own agendas that we lose sight of not only God's promises but God's purposes. So again, brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples, we must aspire to exemplify a commendable faith that results in increasing obedience to witness the excellencies of Christ to the world around us. And so we go to the second part, which is the commendable faith exemplified six examples, four features, now six examples. So within these next passages, the author was highlighting how faith was exemplified in their own heritage, in their own faith, among their ancestors. And what will these examples teach them and teach us today? And again, truth doesn't change lives. It is truth applied that changes lives. We can know the truth, but without living it out, it is useless. This truth is not only head knowledge, it must impact the various areas of our life. That's why Paul tells Timothy to be an example in various areas of life, in his speech, in his actions, in his words, in all that he does. Right? Because, okay, it must also reflect in our various allegiances that there is only one Lord and God we serve. God taking the center stage. Okay? One audience to our worship. He receives the soul spotlights. Now, a story was told of a blind boy. He was flying a kite and enjoying this pastime with others his own age. Now, he was, fly- he was blind, he was flying a kite. And so a passerby who knew him wanted to give him a gentle teasing by asking him uh, meanly, where is your kite, knowing he cannot see? You don't know if it's up there or on the ground or up in the sky. So this uh, man joked with this blind boy, but the boy said with excitement, Oh, yes, I know. 
I do know. It is not quite a fair height up in the air. How do you know that? As his friend. Well, you, I can see, but I can feel the tug of the string. So he knew his kite was flying up there because of the constant tugging of the string that he is holding on to. Now, faith alone in God and His promises, of course, is our foundation of eternal life. Yet, we are also reminded in the book of James, okay, that addresses nominalism, faith without works is dead or work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Inward faith must be reflected in outward obedience. And so, this outward obedience is like the tug of that string. You know that faith exists because there's transformation in our life. It points to us that our faith truly works. Disciples, again, must aspire to exemplify this commendable faith that results in increasing obedience. Why? To witness the excellences of Christ to the world. Because it's not enough for the uh, Christians then who were experiencing persecution to know that they are worshiping the best or Christ is the best and all that they need. They have to also witness this to their persecutors, everyone around them. So these are the six examples. The first, it must affect our theology, no? our theology. And it talks about our perspective of God. It is not just a set of doctrines or set of beliefs we hold on to, but actually how we view God and the significance of these very views in how we live. So in verse 3, let's read, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the author was telling, well, we believe that about creation, that creation happened because of what God spoke. God spoke and it became. It is made not of things that are already there, but God created out of nothing. So why did he stress this? Because we have to understand that our worldview matters, not just what we believe about God, but who he is to us must affect how we live. If we acknowledge God as our creator and the creator of all things, then he must give us clarity towards our life purpose, right? Because that is who he is. If he is our judge, then who will hold us accountable, then we know that our present life, how we live our life, know how we spend our time, how we uh, use our days matters. If God is who the Bible says he is, it must affect how we live, right? And if it doesn't affect me, then Conversely, what does it say about my view of God? What does it say about who God is to me? If I am free to do what I want to do, then it's like 
God does not exist, right? So, first and foremost, it must impact our theology. Second, right, in our giving. And it's talking about our perspective about wealth. When we think that everything we have on hand, our uh, money, our houses, our job is ours, we become entitled. This is mine. Okay? But we keep forgetting that we are only stewards. We, all we have is from God and entrusted only to us by God. And that changes our mindset on giving. Right? And look at verse 4 when they highlight about Abel's offering. Let's read together. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, when, we, when Abel made an offering to God of the best, Cain was jealous, right? Because Abel only did what he felt is the best. And so, as a result, God accepted his offering. And so, that's the idea here. The right perspective of wealth and possession matters and will affect how we give and what we give. Now, when we believe that we have nothing to give to God because God has everything and that God doesn't need anything from us and we separate ourselves from the understanding that we are stewards. Now, it's about us giving to God when everything actually belongs already to God himself. So we have to keep in mind, it is not a matter of what you can give. It is really a matter of what God deserves. And Abel understood that. He understood that he can never outgive the giver or the owner of all of these things. So when you give today to the Lord your tithes and offering or help to others, what does it say about your perspective of wealth and what does it reveal about the nature of your faith, right? What does our measure of giving say about our faith and love to him who gave us everything we have? Third, in our walk. And it's about our understanding of experiencing grace from Jesus. So let's uh, look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God has taken him, not before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And so this uh, man, Enoch, was said that he walked with God for 300 years. And so, because he was faithful to the Lord, walking closely and seeking God for 300 years, he did not experience death. He was just taken to the Lord's presence just like that. So that was the story of Enoch, and he was being commended here because he had such an excellent walk. Now today, in our time, we are given a better opportunity than Enoch because we believe in Christ and then we are given eternal life. His case, he walked with God faithfully for 300 years and he was taken 
to the presence of God. Today, we can experience eternity with Christ by simply having faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. But sad to say, after we receive such gift and such privilege, instead of um, honoring God with our walk, we neglect our walk with Christ. We take Him for granted. We do not exemplify faith that honors Christ in our walk or the time we spend with Him. Okay, and the next is in our witness. And it talks about our perspective of the coming judgment. We all know that eventually the end will come and Jesus will come to judge both the living and the dead. But how is our faith a testament to the power of that God gospel message to save us from judgment? So Noah is the example here in verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah heard loud and clear that judgment is coming, right? And so he constructed the ark even though he was being ridiculed. And when the flood did come, no, everyone who was laughing can laugh no more. They all perished in the flood. And he and his family was saved. Noah believed in the very words of the judge. Despite it ran against popular beliefs of his time, despite he will become the source of scorn and ridicule of his generation, Noah was seen as the fool, okay, because he prepared for the coming judgment. All his neighbors were the real fools because they didn't make the necessary preparations. Yes, judgment is coming, and you and I are called to seek and save that which was lost, to make a difference in the life of others through the Gospels, to snatch as many as we can out of the fire. Right? Noah's story was a sad story because the people didn't listen. But today, one greater than Noah has come, Jesus. But how are you and I faring in terms of being the salt and light of the world, knowing that judgment is coming. Fifth, in our pursuits, right? And this talks about our perspective of future. What do we live for in this present and earthly life, right? Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a fo in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham left his comfort zone. He ventured into the unknown. He made great sacrifice to bring himself closer to the outworking of God promises in his life, in his family, and in his future generations. So he gave up his comfort zone, what 
he used to pursue in his own home and went towards what God wanted him to pursue, to be a blessing unto nations, right? But I don't know what are your primary pursuits in life right now. And is it reflective of the kind of faith you have in your God, right? How does it reflect your faith with your priorities and pursuits? Then finally, it must reflect in our legacy, right? And this is our perspective of why we are alive in this day and time. What will be left from our lives when we kick the bucket one day, when we, you know, at the end of our life, what will be left behind? Will it be a legacy of faith or a legacy of shame? Now, in verse 11, it says, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Sarah believed and it was as God has promised. She was barren. She was already 90 years old. Abraham 100 but they believe that God will accomplish according to what He has promised 25 years before. And so they saw the miracle of Isaac in their old age, right? Which is a medical impossibility. And the Old Testament records how Israel became a nation from this one man, Abraham. And he became the channel of blessing to the world. Because through the seed of Abraham comes Christ. So the question is, what are legacy will you be leaving to your children? What legacy will you be leaving to the future generations? And I would suggest no legacy but Christ and His power at work in you and me. Outward obedience, according to these six examples, results from an inward faith that is truly commendable. And so this faith must be exemplified in our belief of God theology, in how we, in our giving, our perspective of wealth, in our walk, in our witness, in our pursuits, in our life legacy. Right? This is the kind of faith we need to see more and more today. Not a faith that stays home and stays safe, but a faith that matters, a faith that makes a difference in you and in the people around you. Your family, your workmates, your schoolmates, hopefully your city. It is a process of being transformed and renewed daily in the Word so that our lives reflect who our God is and what He has promised. A life according to the design and purpose of God. It is not a life without its struggles and problems, but a life that really reflects the kind of faith we are to present to the world around us. Because as disciples of Jesus, we must exemplify commendable faith that results in increasing obedience as a witness of the excellencies of Christ to the fallen world that we live in. 
right? And it's the application here that matters, right? The application that matters. Now, do you go with a large basket? No? The story says that Madaki, a chief elder in this church, it is one of the most prosperous farmers in Kuwait, Nigeria. His name is Madaki. And so one Sunday, they made this announcement. Mr. Madaki wants all the women to gather at his house the next morning and pass on this news. No? And so when they arrived at his house, these women, <coughs> okay, they asked them to go to the farm, which was three and a half miles away. It's long uh, walk so that they can help carry home some corn from the field. So a total of 104 women and girls went to the farm with their baskets of different sizes. Some were little, some were big, some were mid-sized. And some brought back a big load, some only a few grains of corn, depending on what they felt is the level of help they would like to give. And so... So one took such a load that her strength failed before she got home because she decided to help much by carrying much load, but she was not able to arrive home. When all the loads of these 104 women were brought in, Madaki called them, Mr. Madaki called them back together and told them that they can keep whatever they have brought from the farm. And there were shouts of joy from those people who intended to do much, but sighs of regret for those people who intended to do little. If only we had known, we would have taken the larger basket, was the words of many of these women. There were those who refused to go, saying, I am busy, I don't have time. And this went to Mr. Madaki the next morning because their work suddenly seemed less important and begged him to let them go back and take a load of corn again. But his answer was, the time is past. The corn was brought in yesterday. The harvest is done. Though this kind deed, Mr. Madaki not only helped many needy families, he also preached a quiet sermon to each of them that day. And the Christians are telling and retelling this story again and again all over the town, always saying, that is just how it is in the Jesus way. If you plant seed, then you will see a harvest, right? So the challenge for us first and foremost is to aspire to exemplify this commendable faith. And it can only happen when we draw near to God to be a disciple, to carry our cross, to work on our commitment to the Word, to worship, to fellowship, to prayer, to be accountable to other Christians in our maturity, be a disciple. And so that, as a result, this inward faith would become an outward obedience. We can go far or grow wide, grow deep, grow wide. Grow deep in God, grow wide in outreach. 
to make disciples of others. No, to care for others, followers of Jesus for their maturity, to build them up in the faith, to share the gospel to those who still need to hear who He is. Because as disciples, we are to aspire to exemplify a commendable faith that results in increasing obedience as a witness of the excellencies of Christ in our world. However, having said all of this, inner conflict happens when our expectation does not sync with our current realities. Right? Because, of course, our faith is based on the Word of God, not merely on circumstances and experiences. It's about what God said in His Word and who He is. But the problem is, do we understand the promises of God? Do we know who is the God we serve? And is it exemplifying in different areas of our life? You know, when, when in high school, I learned this hymn and it has always struck me. And the title of this hymn is God Had Not Promised. Right? Because sometimes we claim promises God had not promised, but we missed out on that which God has promised. And let me uh, uh, read uh, the first stanza. God had not promised skies always blue, flowers strewn pathways all our lives through. God had not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for today, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, undying love. This is what God has promised. And our challenge today is to aspire not only to have this kind of faith in our belief or in our inward faith, but also to depend on the Holy Spirit daily to live it out in increasing obedience. What is your hindrance today? Is it your commitment to grow in faith or is it your commitment to work out different areas of your life in obedience? Is God asking you to lay down your lives and carry your cross? What does it mean for you today? May you be indeed a person who exemplifies authentic faith in this fallen world because this world is a merely passing through and we are to present the excellencies of this Jesus we call Lord, Savior, and Master to those around us. Let us close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this challenge today that it is not just about how we grow in our faith, but also how we live out that faith and we know that we are a work in progress. But Lord, in increasing measure, build us up to have the kind of faith that really, O oh Lord, uh, makes you proud as our Heavenly Father because you would like us to really increase in obedience in different areas of our life. Help us to lay down 
things that displease you and be committed to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ.